Sweet. Hi, guys. Welcome. 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 Hey, I'm using the mic because um, the guys in the back who have, like, the clicker button for all the slides, yeah, it's, it's probably important for them to be able to hear me, so I'm uh, using a microphone. Good evening. Hey, we've been in a series about miracles, and... Um, Last week, we kind of just talked generally about miracles, like what we see and some of the things that um, we see Jesus, um, like, you know, what, what ways that he responds with miracles and what ways he doesn't respond with miracles. And, and we were working towards a definition. So first and foremost, we're going to jump back to that and ask the question, what is a miracle? in the first place, in case you weren't here last week. And uh, one of the definitions that we took was from the Oxford Dictionary. You go ahead and throw that up. Um, Oxford Dictionary says it's a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. So a couple of things just to tear this apart really quick. Number one, it's surprising. So miracles are not like a common thing, right? You know, it's easy when we get to read in Scripture to see like three verses and, th and see like, oh, there's a couple of miracles that just happened right there. Like, man, Jesus is just pumping those things out left and right. And the reality is, is while he did do a lot of miracles, um, they are something that is, is um, they're rare, uh, they're not, they're, they're uncommon. Number two is wel a welcome event. So miracles are something that are a good thing, right? So, you know, and we were kind of hashing this out in small group last week, but really asking the question like, you know, what is it? Maybe this is a little more subjective, but a miracle is an intrinsically good thing, right? It benefits somebody or it points, um, like right here, it points maybe to the work or the power of God himself, um, not explicable by natural or scientific law. And this is a big one because oftentimes, um, I think in our culture, we throw this word miracle around like it's, you know, it's just commonplace, right? Um, I talked a little bit about pulling up to the store and there's like, you know, parking spot right up front. And I was like, woo, it's a miracle. And actually that wasn't a miracle, right? I mean, the reality is, is some lady just left King Supers the perfect time, and she pulled out at the perfect time for me to get her spot. Not a miracle, right? So, not explicable by natural or scientific laws. And the last thing is that, man, real miracles point to the reality of divine agency, the reality that God exists. And I'm really excited about that um, because I believe... What we were, the question we were kind of asking last week is, you know, how, how has um, our experience with God shaped our interaction um, or our expectation or our belief in uh, a God who does miracles today, right? That's doing miracles right here, right now in this world, in this generation. Because it's one thing to look at them in the Bible and say, well, yeah, Jesus did all these things. Um, but we had that scripture that talked about how Jesus said, you will do what I have done and even greater than me. And, um, and so I believe that for us, that is a charge, that is a challenge that God wants to use us miraculously in the lives of others. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. So um, 
We were going to hear from Savannah tonight. She's not feeling very well. Please keep her in your prayers. It was a long weekend. And typically, you know, when we have camp weekends, everybody, I mean, everybody's sick. Everybody. Just everybody. Like, Jenna's not feeling well. Thank you for being here, you know. Um, and, uh, but Savo's really not feeling well. She's been in, been in bed for a few days. So please keep her in your prayers. Um, so she was going to talk about healing miracles. She's going to be here next week. She can talk about that. Tonight, we're going to talk about provision, protection, and deliverance. Okay, provision, protection, and deliverance. And uh, it occurred to me that maybe not everybody understands what, like, a miracle of provision is. Um, so we'll start there with miracles of provision. Who can tell me what a, a miracle of provision is? This could be totally conversational. Does somebody just fart? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> Sorry. I thought I heard something. Okay. What is a miracle of provision? Providing, right? Pretty simple. Um, a miracle of provision is some way when God intervenes in such a way that, that he is meeting somebody's needs. He is providing in some way, shape, or form for their needs. Okay, this could be financially. It could be um, something other than that. Maybe God is providing um, a, a, a roof over somebody's head or um, he's providing refuge from a storm or something like that, right? Uh, but right out of the gate, maybe you've heard these phrases. These are pretty, pretty common. When God guides, he always provides. Have you guys heard that one before? When God guides, he always provides. The other one is God's will, God's bill. Have y'all heard that one? God's will. And um, basically, the idea here is that if God wants you to go do it, right? If it's God's will for you to go do this thing, he is going to make a way financially. Okay? And I believe that to be 100% completely true. Um, when you're pursuing God's will in your life, you can absolutely expect him to provide and, and make a way for it to happen. So, you know, a lot of you guys going through that season of asking God, okay, what, what does my future look like? You know, God, what are you calling me to do for a vocation? Um, and I believe if you feel a strong calling, and but you're not sure about how he's going to provide, man, go, go after it. Go after it because he is absolutely going to provide. The second thing that I want to tell you about miracles of provision is that you might be a part of God's miraculous provision in somebody else's life. Okay, we see this in 2 Corinthians 9.11. It says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This one is hard for me. This one is really hard for me because um, we grew up. Um, I wouldn't say poor or broke. Um, we didn't have any money. I feel like poor is kind of a state of mind, right? You know, and that, so I wouldn't say poor, but we didn't have any money. There were a lot of times where like, we didn't know where our, our meal was going to come from. Um, my dad was a pastor in Eastern Kentucky. It was like one of the poorest places in the whole country at that time. And so like, we just, we just didn't have much. And so when I got out of the house and I started like going after success and like trying to make money, I got really prideful about it. And so when I needed help, I like would refuse to ask for it. And um, thank God 
he knows our needs, maybe sometimes even before we know our needs. And uh, sometimes people would come up and say, look, I, I know that you need this. Here you go. And um, what I want to encourage you with, it, with this specifically is that, um, number one, maybe God is using that person to meet some sort of provision that you don't even know about, right? And so if we can say yes to what God is doing, right, then we're, we're doing two really good things. Number one is we're trusting God for his provision. But number two, we're also allowing God to use that person as a blessing. That's huge. That's absolutely huge. Um, but you might be a part of God's miraculous provision in somebody else's life. One thing I love about our community, when we went to our, our first winter retreat, um, you know, we're you know, getting registrations and people are signing up for it. And I actually had a few people that came up and said, hey, just so you know, if there's anybody who can't afford to go, I want to pay their way. And I thought that was so cool. And, and I love that. And through you guys, you know, God using you and your generosity, you're able to um, make a way for them, for that person to plug into a really cool community. So anyway, I just thought that was super cool. But don't, you know, don't, <clears throat> if, if somebody's offering something to you, right, and it's something that you need, like accept it because you're, you're letting God use that person um, in your life, but also vice versa. You might be used by God. One thing I was thinking about, you guys know Cassie, right? Y'all know Cassie. We love Cassie. Um, I didn't know that these were her parents, but when I first came to Crossroads, when I just got here, I was in my master's program, and um, my wife and I had two vehicles. Um, my wife, we both drove SUVs. Um, so my wife got into a horrific car accident that she probably shouldn't have walked away from. Okay, she's parked on 25 um, in really bad traffic for the uh, the Renaissance Festival at Larkspur. She's the last car in a line of literally like hundreds of cars, right? And she's sitting there parked. She's the last one in a truck going like 75, plowed into the back of her car and just just demolished it. Like like it just was everywhere. And the cops were like, "You should, you should how did you survive that? Anyway, long story short, um, so now we're down a vehicle. We didn't tell anybody, but we were like thanking God that Jessa was okay and all these things, right? And, and um, Cassie's parents actually reached out to us and said, hey, we just want you to know if you need a car, here's a car for you. And they let us borrow their car, right? The day after we borrowed their car, my car broke down. And we were out of a car and I was thinking like, man, God knows our needs before we even know what's happening in our lives. And so sometimes when he's using somebody for provision, for a miraculous provision in your life, maybe there's something that God knows you need that you don't even know that you need yet. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, you know, when they, when they reached out and, and offered that to us, it was at first I was like, no, we don't, we got one car, we got this, you know, but then literally in the spirit I sense like, I need to say yes to this. And I did, and I'm so glad that I did because literally the very next day, my car's, uh, my SUV's transmission was gone and it took them like two weeks to fix it. So anyway, there's a difference between fear and faith, okay? And this is, we're talking about provision, okay? And I am not 
of the camp that says um, you have to give money for God to bless you financially. I'm not not really into that whole scene. You know, there's a lot of folks that say like, well, if you if you give, now you've covered your whole income with God's blessing. And, and um, I think at the end of the day, it's just a trust issue. So we're talking about miracles of provision, okay? Um, fear asks, what if I run out of money? Okay, if God's using you for provision in somebody else's life and he's prompting you to be generous, Fear says, what if I run out of money? Faith asks, what can I give? Right? I love when you guys, when we're going to retreats and you guys are coming up saying, hey, can I, can I help people get, get to this re- retreat? I think it's so generous. Um, and I love that. Fear says, I don't have enough. But faith says that my God is more than enough. You see, I, at home I have a bucket a little tin bucket, and it's full of these rocks. And on each one of these rocks, I've written miracles that God has done in my life and, and Jess's life. And we started this a really long time ago because, um, and I've told some of you guys this, but our first year of marriage was hell. I mean, it was really, really, really bad. Like all kinds of health issues, all kinds of really tough stuff. And we found ourselves thirsty to remember who God is in the midst of those hard times. And um, and so we started this thing. We, it's super corny. It's so corny. It's called our blessing bucket. <laughs> and um, But there it sits, and we add rocks to it all the time because we're looking for those miracles. We're looking for ways that God has intervened in our lives in a miraculous way. And I'm telling you, I have so many rocks in that bucket that have to do with God providing miraculously in our lives. I could tell you story after story after story after story of how God has miraculously intervened in our lives. And I don't think that God has blessed us because we tithe. I don't think that's true. I think God blesses us because we want to be in the center of his will and we want to honor him. And, um, and, and we want ultimately for our lives to reflect his purposes. So I think that's why, um, why that's the case. So we're going to talk about miracles of protection. Who has ever said something along this line? God, if you could just get me through this, I will promise to love you forever. Or I will, I'll do whatever you want, man. God, if you can help me pass this test, I will... I'll do whatever you want me to. I'll go to church this weekend. You guys ever barter with God? I know I do. I did. Have done. Past, present, probably future. <laughs> Psalm 37:39. So, uh, Psalm 37:39 tells us that our God has the power to save and to rescue and to protect us. Um this is another big one for me. I have a lot of rocks in our little blessing bucket that are centered around miracles of protection. Um, yeah, some are old, some are recent. Um, obviously, one where Jessa walked away from this accident that, I mean, literally the cops were baffled how she survived this whole thing. And um, 
incredible miracle of protection. I think it was a miracle. There was an angel in that car with her, and it kept her from being destroyed. Um, Gosh, so many times before I knew Christ that I was running around doing stupid things that God protected me through different things. Um, You know, it's great to think about. It's great to think about God protects us until we start to think about people that um, maybe he didn't protect. And obviously God loves those people just as much as he loves us, right? Um, But we have to ask that question. Why does God sometimes protect us and not others or... And I think that's a hard place to go as we interact with with God and with each other, right? As we think about, um, I think about just, you know, COVID came and so many people died from it. But then it seemed like some people didn't even get any symptoms. Um, but we have a God that can save and protect, but sometimes things don't go the way that we hope. And... Um, The truth is, is that long before we face something tragic, God already has a plan in place. Okay, it might not be a plan for protection, but he has a plan in place. Um, I think about how God shut the mouths of hungry lions and he calmed raging storms. And Oftentimes, we're caught up in our lives, right, where we're praying for something. We're praying for um, provision or we're praying for protection against something, right? And, and um, sometimes God's eternal purposes don't line up with our temporary plans. But we should still pray for God's protection. I think that's the thing. I think that as we're, as we're jumping into the series on miracles, what I keep running into as like this overarching theme for us is that we cannot let our own disappointments in life cause us to stop asking God to do miracles in our world. Right? Maybe you prayed for healing for a loved one for a long time and and, uh, and God didn't heal her. Maybe you have a loved one that passed when God could have protected um, And it's easy to fall into that place of saying, it's too hard to ask God to protect when when I've had this experience or this thing that's happened in the past. I think we still got to pray for God to protect and do miracles and provide and all these things. Um, And then I think about how um, sometimes I prayed for protection and God didn't protect me. And it was a good thing. So, um, <laughs> when I was younger, I, uh, I stole a video game and I got totally busted and I thank God for him not protecting me from that because that changed my life. Like that embarrassment really, uh, like helped me not be, be a thief, <laughs> you know? Um, but God, I think he moved through that, right? Um, so, how are you guys doing? You tracking? You tracking? All right, last one, deliverance. Deliverance. This is the one that's kind of creepy. We're going to get really weird. We're going to talk about deliverance. 
and forces of darkness. You guys ready for this? All right. And I'm sorry that this is kind of like um, blasting these out to you guys. I put this together in just a few minutes this afternoon so that we could have something to talk about. But I do think that these are good things to be reflecting about, right? Because God is doing miracles in this world. Um, and uh, we'll talk about some here. So deliverance, this is one of the least talked about kind of miracles. And I get why, right? Because it's weird. It's kind of weird when you talk about people being delivered out of forces of darkness or, or um, you know, de uh, demons, you know, cast out from people that live today. Like, that's kind of weird and scary. Um, but I believe in the reality that there is a battle between Christ and his angels against the enemy of this age and his demons. I believe that it's happening right now all around us. And, um, yeah. And so what is deliverance? I think it's when God intervenes over forces of darkness. Really simple. It's when God intervenes miraculously over forces of darkness. Um, now, uh, you know, um, Maybe some of you are thinking like, man, I don't even know if I believe that part, right? There's all kinds of new movements and things like that in Christianity. There's one that's trying to make everybody believe that hell doesn't exist, you know? And so maybe you're in a place where you're like, man, I don't even know if, if Satan and demons, if that whole thing is even real. And uh, there's, uh, I love this quote. Someone said, the greatest trick the devil ever played was to convince the world that he does not exist. And I think that's so true. I think that's part of this whole idea of miracles is do we live like the spiritual realm actually exists? And if we do, or if we don't, if the spiritual realm really does exist, how would it impact how I live every day? You know, would I, would I be praying for my buddy Evan a little better because I know that the enemy is trying to discourage him. Or would I pray for my buddy Zach a little more because I know that the enemy is trying to get inside his head and make him believe lies about himself, right? How does this world, this spiritual realm affect us and how we live in our, 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 um, our lives? Ephesians 6.12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Think about that. Think about somebody in your life right now that you might have conflict with or, or something. Right. Think about them real quick. Uh, maybe maybe you don't have anybody. If you are, that's that's good. Um, but if you have uh, if you have conflict with somebody, think about them. And then I want you to think about the fact that your battle with them is not actually with that person. Your battle is with the enemy that is. Um, driving a wedge that wants to destroy you, that wants to destroy this person. Maybe it was a person who was rude to you. Maybe you, uh, you know, uh, you know, whoever it is in your life. Our battles are not against flesh and blood. 
I think one of the things that we see consistently in the spiritual realm is attempts by the by dark forces to destroy families to destroy healthy relationships to to um they want you to to be depressed they want you to be anxious um So what, I don't know if you guys have ever wondered this about what a demon might be. Uh, but in Isaiah 14, um, Lucifer makes five I am statements, and then it says that he took one-third of the angels from heaven. And so generally speaking, scholars think that demons are these fallen angels that have surrendered to the lordship of Lucifer. Okay, and they're, they're doing his work. Okay, um, we also see a lot talked about in Revelations 12, so you can look those up. But I think that we have two main mistakes when it comes to um, the enemy and dark forces in this world. I think we have two main mistakes. Number one is we overemphasize demonic forces. We overemphasize demonic forces. Now, I absolutely, and we'll jump into this in just a second, but obviously the enemy and dark forces can influence our lives. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But man, you talk to some people and they're like, I dropped my cell phone on the ground and that was, you know, Satan made me do that, you know, and now my phone's broken because of the enemy, you know, or whatever. Like they're just blaming everything on the enemy, everything, everything. I'm, I'm really ticked off right now. It's the enemies in my head, you know, or whatever. And I, I, I have all this conflict all, all with my friends, you know, like, just blaming everything on the enemy. And I think, you know, yes, we need to call things out, but we also need to be careful not to blame too much on the enemy, right? Um, sometimes we make really bad choices, you know? We might feel like, man, you know, I'm broke because of the enemy. Well, maybe it's because you just don't save, you know, or you spend more money than you make. I mean, there's some simple principles there, right? Doesn't necessarily mean that the enemy did it, right? So let's be careful there. I do think, um, and I think this is the other mistake that we have, is we underestimate the influence of the forces of darkness. But we have to ask the question, what do demons do? What do they do? And there's three things that they do. Number one is they're going to tempt you away from the will of God and towards sin. They will tempt you away from the will of God and towards sin. All right, think about how the enemy might do that. Think about how the enemy might do that in our lives. And we'll talk about that on Thursday and flesh that out a little bit more in small group. But how does the enemy exactly or, or demons tempt us away from the will of God and toward sin? Um, I think one of the things is he might get, on our, get in our head on the front end and minimize the, the um, repercussions of sin in our lives, right? It's not that big of a deal. It's really only one time and God's going to forgive you. So what? And then after we've fallen into that temptation, he gets back in our head and he says, hey, God's not going to take you back anyway because you're screwed up. I mean, I made you fail that easy. Obviously, you don't really love God. Why would he take you back? Right? The enemy gets in our head. 
Um, number two is he distracts us. He distracts us. Man, I think about one of the biggest things that Paul fought as he was planting all this church, all these churches all over um, was false doctrine. You know, people coming in saying all these things that would distract people away. And Paul kept saying, preach the true gospel. Preach the true gospel. It hasn't changed. It's not going to change. It's the true gospel. Preach that. Don't preach anything else. And, you know, and still he would fight these, these um, false doctrines that would come into the church. And I think that's part of one of the biggest ways that the enemy is influencing us today is false doctrines creeping into the church false philosophies, harmful philosophies creeping into the church and that we end up distracted by all of these things. We end up distracted. I was talking to um, Pastor John today and he was reminding me or he was telling me a story of, of a guy that was in his church that was uh, big time, he got, in, got really big time into like reformed theology. And I'm not saying reformed theology is terrible, um, but we can talk about that afterwards about why you're wrong. But um, um, but he said everybody in their church got like sucked into this like fascination with tulip and five point Calvinism and like, you know, uh, you know, predestination and, and all of this stuff. And, and he said it got so, uh, widespread in this little church that people would actually be out in the parking lot, like using five point Calvinism to critique the sermon of the pastor that like the, the enemy wants nothing more than to take you away from hearing truth. He wants to distract your mind from hearing truth. That's why I love it that you guys are here. Like you're plugging in. You're part of a community. You're saying, I'm going to hear truth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and, and hear it. The last thing is that demons inflict suffering. We're going to look at um, a story, Matthew uh, 17. A guy comes to Jesus. And uh, here's what he says, Lord, have mercy on my son. He said, he has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into water. Okay, so the son is like suffering with something, obviously. Verse 18, um, we'll skip right down and kind of see what Jesus does here. He, uh, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. So what do we know? We know, we know from that interaction that the demon was actually causing some sort of physical harm, suffering to this kid. Okay, and there are countless other examples in Scripture. Countless other examples. And um, so the enemy does cause and can cause um, suffering. Um, guys, this enemy wants you to be depressed. He wants you to think suicidal thoughts. He wants you to be desperate. He wants to ruin your testimony. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to destroy you. He wants to hurt what matters most to the heart of God. And nothing matters more to the heart of God than you. Um, I think about how Jessa and I, as we have journeyed in our marriage um, together and in our, our, our love. It's, 
we we can sense the enemy coming in to try to drive a wedge. And, like, we've kind of tuned ourselves to it to where, like, we can sense it, like, as it's happening, right? Most of the time people find out too late, right? They hate each other. They've said all kinds of horrible things to each other. Um, and they've gone their separate ways. And then their heart is convicted that, man, Maybe that wasn't them. Maybe that wasn't their heart in the first place. Maybe the enemy just drove a wedge between us, and now we've, we've thrown this relationship away, and really it was a, a, a spiritual battle the whole time. And these days we can kind of like sense it when it's happening, where it's like, and it, I can't even um, describe it other than to say, like, it's a, it's a feeling that we know. It's a, a, a knowledge in the spirit where we know that the enemy's coming at us and, and trying to, to separate us or get us on some, some different page or, or cause us to have a miscommunication or disagreement or a fight or argument. And, man, when we feel that happening, do you know what we do? We are both committed to this, and I, and I hope in your relationships um, – you can commit to something similar, but like, man, we turn to each other and we're like, look, we are on the same team. We're on the same team. Or, or we might say like, hey, I'm committed to us. Because in the midst of that, it's, it's easy to feel like, man, I'm being attacked by Jessa when the reality is that the enemy is trying to destroy our marriage. Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy your families. You know, I had a sweet kid this weekend who's a, a, a sixth grader. And um, we were talking about broken pots and um, how, you know, God can use our brokenness to reach others. Um, and this kid comes up to me and he says, um, the preacher talked about a broken family, and he said, my mom and dad are divorced. And he said, do I have a broken family? And I was like, gosh, I don't want to be the person who's like, yeah, you have a broken family, you know. But the reality is, is that the enemy has destroyed families. Um, it doesn't mean that it's over for your family if your parents are divorced. I mean, God redeems lives, right? I think we have beautiful blended families and, and um, God finds a way to bring beauty out of the ashes of some of the things that we've been through, right? Um, but how many kids in that room over the weekend thought, man, um, maybe it's my fault that mom and dad divorced or something. And my heart just breaks because the enemy wants them to be thinking that. The enemy wants that kind of stuff to be going through their head for the rest of their lives. It breaks my heart. But here's what I want you to know. This is the cool part. If you are in Christ tonight, if you are in Christ, if you have been transformed by God's grace, then you have miraculous authority over demonic forces in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Luke 10, 19 says, and this is coming from Jesus. He says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. 
And what we know is that what he's talking about is in the power of the name of Jesus Christ, we can, we have authority over the forces of darkness. We do. Jenna, you can come back up. Um, But here's what we got to think about. It's not our power. We don't have the power. We have the authority to call upon the power. And this is where um, I think I differ than, you know, with some of these guys who, who, you know, it's almost like they're wanting to operate in the power. It's not, it's not biblical, right? If anybody says that you're the one, you're the source of the power, they're wrong. They're selling you a pipe dream. The reality is, is that Christ is the source of our power. And as we call upon the authority or we call upon his power in our authority that has been given to us, the enemy cannot stay. He cannot remain. And over the summer, um, when we had summer camp, we had this, this young kid who, um, he came up and he, uh, was just belligerently, belligerently screaming out profanities and kind of convulsing. Um, and we sat him down and, and a bunch of us, I mean, there were probably like 15 people that were present and saw this whole thing take place. And, um, and it, it, like, we all know the kid, right? He's, he's come here for a while and his voice was unlike anything we've ever heard. His countenance were unlike anything we've ever seen. Um, and, and I'm telling you, there's like a bunch of people that can testify to the fact that this happened and we're sitting there and we are rebuking and we're praying. And in this sick demonic voice, he's like, shut the F up. Don't pray for me. Don't, don't call at me. And, and we're just praying and we're praying and we're praying and we're praying. And you could literally see when the spirit like left him and his countenance changed to the kid that we knew and his voice changed to the kid that we knew. And it was, it was kind of freaky to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, I've seen other stuff just like that. Um, we went to Africa. And um, maybe if you've been on missions trips, you've seen things like that. Guys, evil forces are out there. Um, they are, are taking power over, over regions, cities. Um, I think about the story all the time where the, the um, I forget who it is. I always forget who's in the story, but they're praying. They're praying for an angel to come save them. And they're praying and they're praying and they're praying. And like two weeks later, an angel finally shows up and says, sorry, I, I left right when you started praying, but I was fighting this demon over Persia. And it's like, man, this stuff is happening. And I don't say all of this to scare you at all. I say this because we talked about this a long time ago about strongholds in our lives. And I think the enemy wants to create strongholds in our lives. And the reality is, is that um, we have access to power that that enemy cannot touch. Every single house I've ever lived in, when we move into it, Jessa and I walk the perimeter of every house we've ever lived in and we anoint it and we dedicate it to Christ, uh, a place for his spirit to dwell with us and no enemy can, can harbor there, right? We rebuke it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And, and um, because I believe that there is this spiritual battle out there 
and in, in the sense that we operated in this um, authority that we call upon this power in our authority, God has miraculously protected our homes, protected us, delivered me from the chains of addiction. I can't explain it to this day other than to say he broke the chains. People ask me like, hey, you dealt with addiction and you like recovered from it, it seems like. Can you tell me how that happened? And then all I got is surrender. That's all I got. Because God did the rest. So do you live like God is still doing miracles? What would that look like in your life? If you woke up every single day and you knew there was a spiritual battle waging for each and every soul in this room, every family member that you have, every friend that you work with, if you knew that that spiritual battle was waging every moment, every second, how would that change how you live? How would that change how you interact with the people that you love? How would that change how you interact with your Christian family? How would that change how you interact with your biological family? How would that change your, your prayer life? And do we live like we're expecting God to do miracles in our lives? Let's pray. Father, I, uh, carry a heavy burden because I don't want to misrepresent the reality that is there. But God, your word tells us of a reality that is scary. It's there. Thank God you've not left us in this place um, helpless. Father, you've given us access as believers, as Christ followers, as the redeemed. You've given us access to power. Your son said it. So, Father, I call upon the powerful, strong name of Jesus Christ to do miracles in this community to heal the sick miraculously, to bring um, healing in relationships that we probably have already written off, that this relationship has no hope. There's no way it could ever be healed. God, what is that? Um, miracle that we need to ask you for tonight, that miracle that we know we need to ask you for it, but we've been, we've been resistant because as soon as we ask you for it, if it doesn't happen, it's going to hurt our faith. God, I pray that you would give us courage to pray with faith in the strong name of Jesus Christ and ask you for miraculous intervention in our finances, in our relationships, in our future, in our guidance, in our footsteps in our friendships. That persistently asking, um, like the story about the neighbor who was persistently knocking on his neighbor's door. God, that we would come after you praying and asking for your miraculous intervention in such a way that, that we're just thirsty to be back in that space, to see you move powerfully 
Not because we need a sign for faith, but because we know that you can and because we know that you love us. So God, um, give us faith. Love that quote that says, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. Sometimes we we need a little help from you to even muster some of, of what we know we need to ask you for. So God, give that to us even. We just love you. In Jesus' name, amen.